Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we are joined by Fonz Mendoza. Fonz is an instructional technologist and a podcaster, as you might know him from my EdTech life. On this episode, we talk about all the ways of which you can bring EdTech to your classroom and some tips and tricks on really how to leverage your community to be able to bring EdTech to the forefront as a tool for, as Fonz states, a return on instruction. So I hope you get ready to tune in, turn it up. And as always, let's get ready to do this. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my channel. My name is Lena Marie Sali, the EdTech Guru. I wanna thank you so much for spending time with me on this journey, for all the support that you give me and for following along. Don't forget to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe, and let's get ready to do this. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today we are joined by Fonz Mendoza of My EdTech Life. Fonz, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, we are so happy to have you here. So we always like to kick off every episode starting off with who are you and how you got to where you are today. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, uh, again, I'm Fonz Mendoza. I am from deep South Texas and I have been in education for 16 years now. And to be honest with you, education was not my first choice. I never really thought that I would be a teacher. However, 16 years later, still here in education, and I absolutely have fallen in love with the profession. I used to be in business. I worked in uh, marketing and sales for about two years uh, right after I graduated from the university. And that was back in 2003, where I thought, man, I'm going to go into business. I'm going to go where the money is. And, you know, did sales and marketing for about two years. There came a moment where my dad got ill and being an only child and having to be around and to help my dad and my mom and all of that, just, I had to kind of really reassess the situation that I'm in because my work did not give me uh, the hours or the time to be available. And so I had to make a decision and a friend of mine said, Hey, there's this district, they're hiring math teachers. And I believe that with your qualifications, as far as, uh, you know, sales and marketing and all the math that you had to take, you might qualify. And I was like, well, let me see, let me give it a shot. So put in my application and sure enough, they called me in and had an interview. Everything went well. And they said, they called me and they're like, Hey, can you come back the next day and fill out your paperwork? And I was like, okay, no problem. And from that moment on, um, I landed in the classroom from not knowing anything about education, because again, I didn't go about through the traditional education route, came in and day one, I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And so I became an algebra teacher for three years. And then after that, moved down to elementary for the next eight years. And now this is my sixth year serving as the instructional technologist for our school district. And like I said, I I absolutely fell in love with the, the profession. I am passionate about education. It has given me so much and opened up so many opportunities. And now, you know, with what I'm doing and through the podcast, which I know we'll talk a little bit about later, it's like I'm giving, I feel like I'm giving back to this profession, to this community that has given me so much. 
such an amazing story and starting out in the business and then coming into the education space. So do you feel like, was it really challenging for you? I mean, you loved it from the first day, but do you feel like that actually might've given you a leg up coming into the classroom versus how sometimes other teachers experience it? That is a great question. And I always say, yes, my business experience uh, really helped me understand obviously customers because I'm working with customers. So my mindset, when I came in, I said, Hey, you know, this is like, I've got 27, 30 customers here in my classroom that I have to sell algebra to. And not everybody's going to buy algebra the same way. Just like nobody's going to buy a car the same way, you know, cup holders are a big thing, you know, in, in a lot of vehicles, especially if you have a family. So I brought that skill set and transferred it into the classroom. And then, of course, that and the combination of the math skills, the personalized learning. Um, I often joke around and I say, I was doing personalized learning before it became cool. So it's like, I already wore the cool band shirt before the band was cool. So that's what I always tell people. And I absolutely agree that having that experience in that business side of it really helped me and make that transition. And it made, made it a lot easier because I knew what to expect. It is a customer service industry, believe it or not. People may not see it that way, but you are serving 30 different customers in your class or depending on your, cl on your class size. And not everybody's going to buy the subject the same way. So I've sometimes they'll ask me, it's like, what do you think that maybe some of our college prep programs could do better? And I said, offer a marketing class. If they were to have one business course and just specifically sales and marketing and understanding the customer mindset, I think that that would help and be just a really great skill to come into education with because you'll see things a little differently. Um, and that's, like I said, has helped me be successful for 16 years and still be in education because it's all customer service and personalizing, you know, to the needs of students when I was in the classroom. And now it's personalizing to the needs of our, my teachers that I work with. Just while you were talking, I was just thinking about how when I was a teacher, one of the most life-changing experiences for me was when I was teaching STEM and it was like my second or third year of teaching. And we went to, we went, we did like an offsite thing where we went to see like a lens lab where they were making like lenses for like different things. So it was like an engineering space. And I just thought, wow, this is so powerful to see what other jobs are out there than just teaching because I had spent my whole mm. life basically in the classroom learning on the other side, but I didn't see like what our work could do to serve the other side, the customer service side, I guess, you know, of things. So I think it's really great that you had that experience because I think that also, and I'm just putting words in your mouth right now, but you can tell me you feel the same way, but that also serves you to have more of that tech adoption and more of that like CTE side that kind of incorporates into your classroom because now you know what skills are actually needed for the life beyond the classroom. Do you feel like that also played a pretty big role for you? Yes. And you know, that's such a great point that you brought up. The fact that you know, having been in business and seeing how quickly that changes, one of the things that you must know is how to easily adapt. Things will change you need to adapt right away to make that sale, to reach that customer, 
to, you know, whatever the case may be, as far as producing something, a deliverable, you have to adapt. Sometimes you have to improvise. So there's a lot of improvisation that goes into sales and marketing. Same thing, easily transferable skill into education and in the classroom. And also the overcoming, you know, things are going to get in the way. There's going to be obstacles. What is it that you're going to do to overcome that? And so those three words, um, you know, a friend of mine many years ago, when I first started, he's a former Marine. And that's actually what the Marines do. That's kind of what their motto is, is improvise, adapt, and overcome. And I adopted that because I was like, that really goes along with sales and marketing, but that I can easily translate into the classroom. So having that vision, like you said, of working in, you know, business and marketing and seeing those skills and definitely a lot of the tech adoption and just seeing where the kind of the future of work is going now, of course, this was 16 years ago, but still being able to bring that into the classroom and doing that with my ninth graders that I worked with, with three in, you know, for those three years, transitioning into elementary for the next eight years, and really like just bringing in the tech and learning more about it and taking the risk really helped out and panned out in the long run because that's actually how I was able to transition into this role because I was willing to take a chance, show the students the little that I knew about that tech, you know, at that moment. And we just kind of rolled with it. We grew, we made it happen. The students were being successful. They were being, you know, able to create some amazing things. They learned from me the little that I had, but I learned from them just amazing things that I didn't know were possible. And so I always tell, um, you know, my teachers, I said, look, it's okay to not know everything, but allow your students and give them a chance to explore. And you're going to see that you're going to start learning from them. So by the end of the day, you look like the expert to that last class because you've already learned, you know, from your first three classes or your first four classes. And you just take that learning and then just continue to grow it, enhance it, see what else that you can add. But I feel that sometimes we don't give enough credit to our students at all whatsoever. And, but also for the teacher side, I understand that they may not want to take that risk because admin. You know, uh, there might be a walkthrough that day. There might be something that like, well, you're not doing what I thought you were supposed to do or what you need to do, even though they may not see the big picture in the end that you are bringing in all those specific standards and rolling all that up into a lesson. They may not see that. They may not understand that, which is something that happened to me the last two years in the classroom where I had Chromebooks out all the time. And an assistant principal not understanding what my students were doing, thinking, oh, they're just there playing games. They're doing this. And then when they saw the scores for the state exam, they're like, Mr. Mendoza, I'm really sorry for the hard time I gave you. Keep doing what you're doing because it's working. And so, you know, things like that happen. But again, I think that having that business experience really helps with that transition into the classroom with the tech adoption, and most importantly, also just navigating those things where maybe an administrator may not know what it is that you're doing. And then you just sell it to them and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. You may see it this way, but let me show you what I'm really doing. And you're able to sell that. And it really helps out a lot. You said a lot of really great things there that I definitely agree with. And I think um, one thing that you said and that Jenna Lee said when they came on was just 
you know, learning enough that you can set your students up for success with using the tool, because what you said was by the end of the day, you'll become an expert. So what that means is all day you've experienced a little bit of failure and you've been able to iterate each time. And so by the end, you're like this rock star or what the kids think is a rock star with it. But the first class may not know that you are struggling as much. And the next day you're going to come back stronger and you're just going to learn a little bit more. And our kids are just digital natives, right? We were talking right before this about you delivering, uh, basically you were having a meeting with parents and you said that you had kids that had come in and they were using, you know, using YouTube and they're, you know, they're navigating Mm -hmm. the phones and they're finding this app and they're finding that app. That's just their life. So we just have to open the window enough that they can step through and they're going to teach us so much. I mean, think about even TikTok, like they were using TikTok before TikTok was like a thing. It was bite dance before. Right. And they were like using it to communicate and they're teaching each other dances and they're doing all this like other kind of stuff. Now we're adopting that as our own like sense of, you know, how we're communicating with each other. So they're, they're also able to take risks without a lot of failure, you know, where it's more failure for us. And then another thing that you said was the admin piece. And I think that sometimes it's a sticking point for a lot of educators. I know I've experienced that adversity with administrators, but I think how you framed it by saying, Hey, let me show you what it can do is something that is a missed opportunity. I think sometimes as teachers, we are afraid to have these conversations with administrators and face that sense of adversity. And we get so stressed out, like, Oh, I don't want to tell them. I just want to do what they need me to do. But sometimes they're not right. (laughs) And they need to be shown and convinced just like anyone would be about why what you're doing is the right thing at the right time for your students. Yeah. And so I wanted to add to that. So this, this particular administrator, it was, I transitioned from sixth grade to fifth grade because they needed a fifth grade teacher for science, social studies and everything. And they're like, hey, would you be willing to do it? And I've always been one of those like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever, you know, whatever way that I can help, I'll do it. You know, I, I'm not scared of that challenge or change. I'm like, you know, it keeps things fresh in that sense. So I did that. And, you know, like I said, I, I at that time, our school only had two cows, which are the computers on wheels. We had Chromebooks, 30 Chromebooks, and we only had two of them because we were very either late in, in the Chromebook adoption and very early in our district, per se, as far as getting those into the campuses. So I was that teacher that checked out the Chromebook cart every day. Me that, too. <laughs> that Chromebook cart lived. I just really live in my classroom. <laughs> yeah, it really, no, for me too. It was just plugged mm-hmm. in there because nobody else used it because nobody else knew how to use it and nobody else wanted to take that risk. And I was just like, I was doing it the year before with these massive, massive old cows that we had that nobody was using that was just you know, gathering dust. So I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And so in my class, when we would do science, I would use uh, Scratch and the students would be creating their own solar systems. The students would be creating their own water cycles. They would be programming all of that. And then I started a lot of donors choose things where we had makey makey kits. So we were using makey makey kits to create circuits to define if something was a conductor or not a conductor. But what happened is that particular instance, the AP, the this assistant principal, came in and uh, she would always be peeking at my window because my kids were loud, and I was like, "This is learning." I mean, they're they're talking about their subject, but because they're so used to seeing things one way, like like the halls should be quiet, 
My kids were up and down the hall. We were walking outside. We were, they had their devices out because we were a BYOD district. They were recording. We were having a great time, but that wasn't what that AP was used to seeing. So one day she came in and they were programming the water site. Excuse me. They were doing the solar system. Actually, she walked in. She didn't even say a word to me. She just walked in, walked around. And in about 10 minutes, my principal came in, walked in and said, uh, Mr. Mendelson, can I talk to you? I said, sure. It was, well, Miss uh, so-and-so, I mean, I won't say her name, but she said, um, you know, she told me that all the kids are doing here is just playing games. And there's a lot of talking and they're just laughing and everything. I was like, well, let me show you what we're doing. I said, uh, you know, I told one of the students, I said, hey, can you uh, show uh, our principal what it is that we're doing? And they explained, you know, they're doing the solar system. They were talking about rotation revolution, how they're programming it using Scratch and doing all of this. And I said, if you look at my learning objective, you know, we're doing, you know, the solar system, we're talking about this. And then he was like, oh, okay, cool. He left, um, you know, the rest of the year went by, but that principal, the, the assistant principal was always at my window peeking. You, you see her little eyes there the whole time. And that's when I mentioned to you that at the end, when we got our test scores, she actually came and apologized and said, you know, I'm really sorry for giving you such a hard time. She said, I just didn't understand what you were doing because I had never seen it done that way. And so it was new to me. And so, you know, we talked and said, you know, this is what I'd like to do, the integrating the science, of course, with the technology, we're still hitting our standards. And, you know, that's when I learned like Matthew Woods, I was on his show and uh, Matthew Wood said, you know, the state will give you a standard, but they don't tell you exactly how to teach it. They'll tell you what is expected. But he said, the standard is like your sandbox mm -hmm. and you can go in there and kick the sand around as much as you can. But as long as you stay within the box, you're good. You can get as close to the edge and, you know, try all these new things. And then that's when it kind of hit me. I was like, yes, exactly. That's what I was doing. I was just kicking sand and just presenting things in a different way. So again, she apologized and she said, just keep doing what you do it. You own it. That summer I did a STEM camp for that school only because uh, that was the deal with my principal at the time. I said, look, I'll do the STEM camp for free, no stipend or anything, just pay my way to TCEA. And he's like, okay, no worries. So I did that. Well, she flew her granddaughter from Dallas into Texas where, oh, well, South Texas here where we're at to be part of our STEM camp. And her granddaughter was just so happy, thrilled, amazed. And she sent me this letter and I still have it just being very thankful for the way that her granddaughter had so much fun. And they, she's like, they don't do this in her district. And the way that you explained everything she felt so like, like she was part of this community and everything. And from that moment on, she was the one that actually encouraged me to say, hey, if there were ever a position at central office to do this or to train teachers, would you ever consider doing it? And I was like, nah, I was like, I'm going to be a classroom teacher for life. I love this. And she just kept insisting. I said, you know, you should really try and see if you can get into central office and maybe start bringing these skills and sharing what you're doing. And I was like, 
okay. She just kept really persisting. And then position came open and I applied. And, you know, six years later, here I am, you know, because the person that was maybe a little bit tougher on me and didn't see what we were doing, saw something and then saw the results and then saw what it did for her, her granddaughter. She became my number one supporter and to say like, Hey, you've got something going on here. Like, just keep doing it, share your passion. I was like, all right. So it was really cool. So yeah, it's definitely, like you said, important that although your administrator may not understand what you're doing, just explain it to them and show them the value that you're bringing and that the kids are going to gain from that because they may be very surprised as to what it is that you're doing and how the students are just very, um, their their learning has been enhanced and taken to another level. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely an advocate of that. And I think that the important piece of all of that is obviously convincing your administration and all those other things, but it's to let them talk to the students and the students are going to be the voice that you need to amplify what you're doing because I've done that too. And I've had people come in and I'm like, okay, well, just why are you going to talk to me? Like, this isn't about me. This is about them. So then ask them the questions and they could ask, they could ask anyone in the, I, I never told them which student to go talk to or anything. I said, just go talk to like three or four students and then let's chat. And then that usually was like a mind changing thing for them because they're like, oh, wow, they can one speak to what they're doing. They, and I used to always have them like write their objectives, like in the top of like the notebook too, just in case somebody, yeah. you know, came in or whatever yeah. wanted to question me because it happened often. And they'd be like, yeah, we're working on this. And this is how this goes to this. And they'd be able to like really make the connection rather than just the objective sitting on the board, doing some worksheets that don't really jump off the page. Mm-hmm. Then they want to create, they want to have fun. And you'd be surprised what they're actually learning from each other. And what they would do is they would come, we would reflect after the lessons or at the end of the unit and have them write up their things. And they'd be writing these like five paragraph, you know, essays that they needed to write that, you know, tying it in, that was like having that buy-in. But the things that they would say is like, oh, those are my favorite things. And students to this day still reach out to me. Like, thank you so much for letting us do these real world, like style of learning. I've learned so much and I've taken greater risks when it came to middle school and high school of taking different courses because you introduced me to this. Yeah. And you're absolutely right on that. You know, one of the things that I did want to add, it was also just the fact that students, the excitement that they had. I remember my principal telling me, it's like, hey, I want to let you know something. It's like fifth grade, you know, you your team and everything, you guys have the least amount of absences all year. And it's like parents call me and they say the kids are just excited to come to school. They want to come to your class. They don't want to miss. And so that's really helped out our school as far as absence numbers, things mm-hmm. of that sort. And then I would even have parents. They're like, uh, Mr. Mendoza, like, you know, so-and-so, I, they need to be out. They don't want to miss. Like, what is it that they're going to be doing? Because they're upset because I have to take them to the dentist and so on. I say, oh, no, don't worry. This is what we're going to be doing. It's in Google Classroom. I had students that while we were in class and I was doing teaching and because we used Google Classroom, I would see like they're, uh, I would get alerts. They're submitting work from the dentist office through Google Classroom. <laughs> Because they, yeah, they didn't want to miss. They were really excited, and that really kind of was awesome. I mean, it's it's a testament to the culture that you create, the the excitement that you create when you're teaching a lesson, 
the also the fact that you give them that autonomy in the way that they learn and and I'm, I was able to adjust to all different learning styles, providing a way for them to submit their learning artifact because I never gave homework. I was a teacher, never, ever, ever gave homework. Parents would call me at the beginning of the year. Hey, like, is my child okay? Are they doing well in your class? I was like, absolutely. They're phenomenal kids. And they're like, well, they never bring any books home. They never do any. I never see them practicing. I said, oh, no. I said, I, I don't give any homework. They're like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. It's like everything we do, I, we do in class. And then I'll explain to them that the reason that I do that or have that philosophy is because I said, look, let's be honest. I said, not every kid has a similar home life. And so what I do is I make sure that I'm here to provide all the help and assistance that the students need. So when they go home, they can go home and be kids and they can go home and do their activities and focus on all that or focus on other teachers' homework, but not on mine. Like we will always do everything in class. And they're like, oh, wow. So yeah, it's like, I'm here to help. And so they absolutely love that piece too. And so building that community with the parents really helps. And again, it goes back to PR, to sales, it goes back to marketing. And that really helped out a lot when I was able to sell my classroom to the parents, to the students and to the admin, everything was so smooth. And just being able to sell that part, I think is, is just an important, it's so important because I think your parents are your biggest cheerleaders and we often get really timid of them and they can, they can come and they can be intense and they can be abrasive and they can be mean because they don't understand. It's just like anything else, right? Like they only know and the experience of how they experience school. And so they expect that to sort of be that way. But a lot of times we don't open the door enough for parents. And I think the pandemic helped to under, help parents understand like, oh, these are what my students are experiencing. But before that, there was was no opportunity really for them to include. So often we've just been pushing them aside, but really they're the greatest cheerleaders that we ever had. And if we can open that communication, just like we can with our administrators, the initiatives aren't going to stop coming down the pipeline. That's just always going to happen, but you'll just have a much happier life. I think teaching, like it'll be more exciting and more fruitful for you. More rewarding, I think, when you are able to show the impact and engagement in your classroom. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. And that that was the best experience that I had with students. And I know that, you know, now post-pandemic, there's so many restrictions here, even in our district. It's like nobody's allowed in the building. You have to do it's certain so things. It, it's it's hard. And I'm thinking to myself, we're not helping our community. I was like, it, and and here's the thing. I've always said teachers or or maybe districts or people even on social media they they throw the term around which is a learning community and learning community and oftentimes i always question and i ask what do you mean by learning community like what's a learning community to you because my learning community definition is a little different and so sometimes when i ask they're like well yeah it's it's our students and our teachers and our admin and i said mm, for me it's it's parents it's parents students, teachers, and then admin, like you need to include the parents in the conversation. So going back to my classroom experience, I would invite parents to my class to see their kids' presentations. Not every parent was going to make it, obviously, because parents work, but I would have at least, you know, five, sometimes three, depending on the, on the time of day that would show up, but they would show up and they'd be there recording and then they'd be recording and then they'd share it with the parents that weren't there. 
And then I would put it up in Google Classroom and then the kids could show it to the parents. So it's like they didn't miss out on their, their kids' presentation, even though they weren't there physically, but they can still see all of that. And the support that I got from parents, um, you're not you're not kidding. They are the, your biggest cheerleaders and they're always willing to help and they're always willing to call and say, Mr. Mendoza, do you need anything for this week? Like copies being made or anything. And they were there to support. But now with all those restrictions, I'm like, I can see that being in the classroom now can be difficult if you did want to include parents because of the restrictions as far as them being there at a certain time or, you know, the constant going in and out of parents because of security reasons and things of that sort. So it, it has gotten a lot difficult post-pandemic, but we definitely need to have those conversations with parents and include them in the conversation. So like you said, they they have this notion of traditional school, which is how they understood it, but they need to see how things are done now and maybe even ask, why is it done this way to help them understand? And it's not that they're questioning your teaching. It's not that they're questioning that, you know, that maybe you're not effective or efficient. It's they truly genuinely just want to know why and how, like what changed, like what's going on. And oftentimes I feel that districts don't do enough to inform parents. Like we keep them in the dark and they or or they don't have the context. And then they start thinking like, well, maybe this is why they do this. And and it, it gets negative. And we definitely need to put everything in a positive light for sure. And I think there's some ways that you can do that. We don't have to dig into all of that, but but definitely opening the windows for parent communication mm -hmm. is pretty um, huge. So you've talked and peppered in a little bit about your podcast and the content that you do. So what initially, if you don't know, and you haven't seen, um, Fonz has my ed tech life where he, he's going to talk a little bit about that, but definitely make sure that you subscribe. Those will be in the show notes below as well. What initially made you want to start doing content? Yeah. Okay. So everything started, uh, of course, uh, because of pandemic. So the world shut down for me or for a lot of us on March 13th, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, of 2020. And uh, we, that was our week for spring break that we were off and they said, oh yeah, you know, we'll probably maybe be off a week or maybe two and then everything will be fine. And we didn't come back till, you know, a year, year and a half, two years later. I like, I've lost all notion of time after COVID to be honest with you. But what happened is I was able to connect and and we did talk a little bit about pre-chat, the importance of being a connected educator, not as far, you know, not just, you know, within your community, but just outside communities through social media. And so what happened is I connected with a great group of educators and um, the fact that, you know, Google level one, level two certified educator, at my Google, uh, my Google trainer. So what happened is I started seeing these groups, these GGs that I had never heard of. And I was like, oh, GG, it's like global educator or Google educator group. And I was like, wow, okay. And then all of a sudden I started connecting with educators and I saw global GEG, which is global Google educator group. And it was started by some Google innovators. And at the time I was applying to become a Google innovator. And so I connected with all these wonderful educators. So once everything shut down, they started saying, hey, well, what can we do to help educators? So they started putting on, you know, live shows, you know, going on StreamYard, uh, going live on YouTube and hey, guys, like, here's some tips on how to use Edpuzzle. Here's some tips on how to use this platform and that platform. 
and so on and so forth. And I got to participate doing a lot of the Spanish stuff since I'm fluent in Spanish. So I would take their sessions and do them in Spanish. And it was such a tight knit group. We were constantly just chatting with one another on Slack, like who needs what, what resources are out there and just sharing on social media. So then I said, well, I can do this here also, like locally, you know, for my school districts and see what we can do here for this regional area. Well, what happened is it, that was the intent uh, to start off doing that on April 10th, 2020. Um, that was when I did my first show and did my first live. And so the intention was, okay, let me go ahead and do this for this area. But what happened then is I said, you know, there's already a lot of this going on. You know, you've got great groups like, you know, GEGs and all these other people that are doing some great things on, you know, sharing tech and doing, you know, what tools to use, what tools not to use, and so on. And so my show just kind of organically became more of a conversation as to how are you doing? You know, what are you seeing? How are you overcoming these things? And not so much focusing on the tech, which is funny because the show's called My EdTech Life. But the reason that I named it that is just because that was a hashtag that I used when I first got into this position as an instructional tech. And I was just document like, oh, this is my ed tech life. But we all know that even in anybody's ed tech life, there's that other personal side. And I wanted to just amplify those voices during that time of pandemic and say, you know, share your story. Like, how are you feeling? What are you going through? You know, and then of course we did talk a little bit about tech, but it was really just giving a platform to educators that might otherwise not have a platform. And it just organically grew into that. And now more, it's more focused now on that mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time, amplifying again, their stories. We, we do sprinkle on the tech because we do talk, you know, a lot about that, but also just hearing people's origin stories, hearing about where they're at right now, what their passions are, where they see education going, um, you know, and 178 shows later, here I am three years later, still doing this. And it's the show continues to grow. And I've just been so happy and so blessed to have met so many amazing educators from around the world that have in some way, shape or form changed me for the better, have shared you know, so many tools and have shared so many ways to just better yourself and to learn how to overcome, to adapt, to improvise in any situation. And more than anything, I feel like this is, has been my way also to not only learn from them, but the fact that this is out there in the education space, it, I feel like this is my contribution to this profession, to this uh, life that you know, that I live and it's giving back to the community, you know, and, and helping them learn. And that's why I always say there at the end, when I'm closing the show, you know, check out this episode and the other so many episodes where you can take from some amazing educators and sprinkle it on to what you are already doing great. Because sometimes you may hear that one little thing that can just take what you're already doing to that next level. And so that's really where my passion is just sharing people's stories and and hearing them out. And again, it, it's not always tech related. 
Um, sometimes we'll talk about mental health. We'll talk about issues. We'll talk about transitioning teachers. We talk about, you know, what's going on in the current state of education. We'll talk about AI. So I'm always trying to keep everything fresh and relevant to what is happening. So that's really, like I said, just the goal and just to amplify those voices and put more, more resources out there for educators. Yeah. And I, I love your mission and what you've been doing. And, you know, that's how I, I mean, that's not how I got started, but that's how I kind of, when I moved from Colorado to Texas, I like didn't have a network. And so I just started listening to podcasts like house of ed tech, um, classroom in a boardroom, and just kind of listening to what other people were sharing and, and any sorts of tech tools that they were using in a day to day and how they were using them and then trying to adopt it in that way. And so it kind of started to open up a different window for me, because I think so often, as you know, education can feel extremely, extremely isolating. It just can. And you feel often like you're not you know, that you're alone on an Island sitting by yourself because you spend all day just talking to kids, right? Like you can, you speak to a couple of people in your building. If you're lucky, if you get a chance to, in the day to speak with other people, you're, you know, you're in the, we're one of the lucky ones, but I think this world of being more connected and you sharing that space is just so important to show other educators that they're not alone and to feel connected and hear the stories because, you know, we see everyone else's day in the life, all these other influencers mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I feel like the education influencer sharing circle has started to, you know, kind of catch momentum and speed because other educators want to hear from other educators. That's your best cheerleader, your best person. Yeah. So I think that's really, yeah. really great. If a teacher were to start thinking about getting connected and starting to build their network outside of just listening to podcasts and following, you know, those types of things, what are some other ways that you would suggest for a teacher to kind of build their network? Yeah. Okay. So not feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. You're absolutely right. So what you want to do is you want to hop on social media. Like you don't have to hop on all the accounts as far as, or social uh, platforms, pick one that is going to be easily manageable, you know, that you can, kind of handle, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's Twitter, maybe it's TikTok, so on, whichever one you feel the most comfortable with. But what I would recommend is the following. So let, like, for example, myself and, and Lena, of course, maybe we're into tech. So maybe what I would suggest you do is search hashtag tech, hashtag tech educator, or hashtag ed tech, find something that might be in that specific niche that you may be working with. So if you're reading maybe hashtag reading, hashtag reading coach, or if you're an instructional coach, find those hashtags and then click on people or users, depending on the platform that you're on, and just start kind of scrolling, getting to know, and then you'll start finding maybe people that you recognize from either conferences or because of their social media presence, connect with them, see who's following them. And chances are those people that are following them too will have a very similar, you know, story to yours. Uh, as far as your niche, what you're trying to to do, or your part of your work, connect with them and and don't be shy about just because you don't know them doesn't mean that you can't connect with them and just follow. That's the beautiful part about social media is that you can also kind of lurk and kind of see who's doing what and learning from them. But one thing I also want to encourage you is don't fear putting yourself out there either, because that is another way too that you yourself will be able to find 
your niche, your click, your group. Um, because once you put yourself out there, there's going to be people that will be following you that'll say like, wow, look, we've got this in common, or they teach the same thing, or I love that resource. And she shared this, or he shared that and so on and so forth. And that is a great way to connect with other educators. And so don't feel that imposter syndrome either. And what I mean by that is sometimes you may think, well, I don't want to share that because somebody else already does that and they do it a lot better. And uh, no, I don't want to share that because again, they look at what they did and that's better than me. Put it out there because you may not realize it, but you may have a way of explaining that deliverable or that resource in a way that that person or somebody else might say, oh man, that's a lot easier to follow. Or you know what? I still found that helpful and making those connections. So don't feel imposter syndrome, put yourself out there. And it might be a little uh, uh, uneasy at first because you may feel a little vulnerable, but trust me, everybody that is on social media and a lot, well, there is a good and bad, but it, as long as you're there in that side of that you need to be on, on the educator side, on that support side and so on, you're going to find great educators that are always willing to help. So that was the best advice that I got from um, one of my mentors, Micah Shippey. So shout out to Micah Shippey, uh, who said, you know, this is what I want you to do. Find this hashtag, find the people that are attached to that hashtag and you follow everybody. And then when I had a question, I would reach out to them. They didn't even know me, but I'd say like, hey, you know, I noticed that you shared this, you know, what do you recommend here? Or may I borrow that? Or do you have another suggestion? And everybody was so polite and so willing to help. And that's the way you start again, making those connections that when sometimes you run into those people in real life, you know, you're like, wow, it's like, we've been friends forever. And, you know, you can have a conversation and make those genuine connections. So don't be scared to put yourself out there. And that's the best advice that I can give. Yeah, I agree with that. I, and I haven't heard anyone talk about the hashtag so much. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that's what I do. I follow hashtags like, you know, ed tech, um, ed tech, you know, educator, or when I was doing computer science, I'd follow computer science or CS ed, or, you know, any of those types of things, because those are going to lead you to the directions of where you want to go, because what you're exactly, not every single educator is doing the same thing. Um, so if you want to connect with reading teachers or math teachers or science teachers or art teachers, there's such a large community of those people. And that's how we get connected is through the power of hashtags. So that's why we use them because they're trackable and traceable and ways to, you know, use them. They're kind of like a search engine essentially. So I think that's a really, really great tip being on the note of, you know, being social and, and, you know, we talk about it lurking and, you know, that sort of a thing. I like what you said about reaching out to them and sending a message and just being like, Hey, I really liked this. I think that's important. Like, don't just be like, Oh, that's cool. Or, Oh, that's great. You know, those have their times. I always say connect with intention. I think that's really important. So when you're connecting, who knows, sometimes I, sometimes I just randomly reach out to people. I'm like, wow, that was so insightful. So cool. I'm not in the classroom, but I'm still, you know, wanting to learn from people who are in ed tech and that sort of thing. So I'll, even me, I'll reach out and sometimes get a little imposter syndrome. And I'm like, Ooh, I feel so nervous to reach out to this person. Like I can't believe I'm going to do it. And then I just do it. And then I'm always so surprised by exactly what you're saying, how kind and how welcoming people are. And sometimes people are so fast. I'm the worst at being fast and responding <laughs> to people, but 
you know, it's just so powerful, the community that is really, yes. truly out there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and you know what, going back to what you said there, the fact that you acknowledge that post and you say like, wow, this is something that's great. And I just want to reach out. You don't understand how much that affects that creator in such a positive way. Um, you know, even for ourselves, us that, you know, we're, we're out there, we put ourselves out there on all social media. And even though like, even all, like, you know, on my shows, I'll say, Hey, you know, reach out to us, give us feedback. Sometimes you get crickets, you don't get any feedback. You don't hear, you know, you don't know, like, is this something that's good? Is this something that it did it hit? Did the, the content hit or not? And then every once in a while, I'll get a message that says, Hey, you know, I really like this clip. Thank you so much for sharing this. Uh, I had this amazing message that came in that said, you know, after watching this show, this really helped me really kind of, uh, you know, re reassess my situation and uh, in teaching and this one episode and what this person said really helped reignite that flame in me and just felt just you know, so excited about where they're at and what they're doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that really fills my bucket as a creator. But I also shared that message with the guest that was on. And then it, it really means a lot. Like when we do get that feedback, because a lot of educators out there, you see the finished, the finished polished product of hours and hours and hours of learning and researching and trying things out that when they post something up on social media, they've done that for hours or maybe different takes. And so the fact that you would reach out with a little message to say, hey, thank you for sharing that. Like that really helped me here and so on. Oh man, you're just filling somebody's bucket and just really fueling them to continue sharing and going forward. And it's just a beautiful feeling. So yeah, I definitely, um, if you can, you know, take a time to just acknowledge somebody on social media, or even if it's just your, your next, next door teacher, you know, even down the hall or something, just acknowledge them because you don't understand that, how that little piece of content that you're sharing with them, that, that, that acknowledgement, that love of what they created, it, it exponentially, it'll, it'll fill their bucket and just, you know, make them feel just, uh, I don't know, just seen, heard, and just, it, it's the best, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like when you get acknowledgement from a parent or like a student from years ago, and they're like, thank you so much for this. It kind of feels the same, like that same, like rewarding, impactful thing, because a lot of what we do is it is crickets, right? Like we're just putting <laughs> out content. And, you know, so when you get that one out of the hundred people who watch something that say something to you, it's like, wow, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you taking the time and energy to put yourself out there to say something to me as well. So yeah, I definitely, definitely really appreciate that. So because you are my ed tech life and I am what I coined myself, the ed tech guru, let's talk a little bit about ed tech. And, you know, you talked about personalized learning and, you know, bringing ed tech into your classroom. If you were a newbie or maybe even a seasoned, well-seasoned educator, who has yet to maybe jump into ed tech or is looking for something new in the ed tech space. Do you have any tips or do you have any of your favorite tools that you think an educator should just jump on today? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So as far as tips, here's the best tip that I can always, that I always love to share with 
anybody, it doesn't matter what level you are, whether you're incoming or you're a seasoned vet, is always keep it simple. Keep it simple and don't overwhelm yourself with wanting to try every single platform that is out there. Because that's one of the things too, that being on social media, you're going to see people post this platform and this platform and this platform and so on. And, you know, for us that maybe feel very comfortable with tech, we're like, oh yeah, let me try that. And oh yeah, let me try that. And for the seasoned vet, it could be like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. Like, where do I start? Because there's so many. So I always say, keep it simple and just choose, maybe do, do a little bit of research and maybe just choose either the best three to four. Don't, don't overexert yourself because what happens is many times we'll start using a platform. There's another platform that comes out that may do the exact same thing, but they just add one additional little button or a little, a little bell and whistle per se. And then it's like, oh, I got to do that one now because it's got the new shiny thing. So this is what I've learned. And this is kind of the mindset that I'm trying to share too with a lot of people in my district is you have to treat a platform like an instrument. And what I mean by that is, for example, let's say that you want to learn how to play guitar. Well, if you're new to guitar, it may be very difficult because you have to know how to tune the guitar you have to learn some chords, you have to learn the strings, but once you get the hang of it, it's going to hurt a little when you start building the calluses because that's that little learning curve where it's like, uh, I'm not quite getting it, but the more you practice, the better the melody, then the more you practice and use that platform, the easier it becomes. Then what happens is you start playing some great songs, some great melodies, and you get the hang of it, but you, you're diving in deep to do that. And so what's going to happen is your students too, they're going to be able to use this platform and maximize the platform. And sometimes as a teacher, you may realize like, wow, I can do things with this platform that I didn't know I could do, but because you took the time to really dive in deep. What happens oftentimes is like, oh, I'm just learning how to play guitar. And it's like, ah, oh, this really hurts my fingers. Uh, let me go ahead and go and try and play saxophone. Oh, this is really cool, but oh, this is really hurting my lips. Ah, you know what? Let me go ahead and play the drums. And here I am. And it's like, oh, but this is all I have to, I, this is all I get to do. And then we hop from platform to platform. Find those that work for you. And most importantly, not only that, but that they work for your student to get the outcome you need. Keep in mind, this is about the student. Is the student getting that return on instruction? with that platform? And is your district getting that return on investment on that platform? So learn how to maximize that. Keep it simple. Keep it to four. And the as far as my go-to go-to that I would definitely recommend for any teacher to have is always going to be number one, Cami, you know, because mm. that is going to be my number one. Take any digital worksheet and just go ahead and digitize it. And now that Cami has that test mode, you can create multiple choice little quizzes, you know, using those PDFs. So you don't have to recreate something. Um, it's got the audio. It's got, you know, video that you can integrate on there. So a lot of people, I think, sleep on those other additional features that Cami has. And the other ones that I'm going to recommend for creativity and to amplify student learning through creating some wonderful learning artifacts are going to be definitely Canva. That, that is a go-to for teachers 
you can definitely get your creative juices flowing with that. And you don't even need to have like major designer skills. Just use what is there and what is available. And that's going to take you a very long way too. And also Adobe Express. I definitely recommend those two as well. So, uh, and Edpuzzle. Those are the ones that I, my top, um, you know, platforms that I, that I recommend just easy use and low barrier to entry. Now, I know I may be excluding a lot because there's a long list of, you know, apps that I would love to share with you all, but these are just an example of how you can keep it, um, keep it simple, keep it uh, manageable for your, you and your students, and that can get you some great results on the return on instruction and return on investment for your classrooms. And then, of course, there's also, you know, many others that I can go ahead and say, like, of course, I would definitely have to mention Flip too, because we definitely want our students to work with, you know, hearing, listening, speaking. So Flip is great, you know, especially for emergent bilinguals. So you definitely want to get that in your repertoire and in your your uh, teacher uh, tool belt for sure. But those are just some of my suggestions. And if you ever have any questions or anything, feel free to DM me and reach out. And you know, I can I'd be more than willing to help you with any questions. I was just about to say that if you have any questions about any ed tech tools that you're not sure about, either one of us would be more than happy to help guide you on that. I think I like what you said about return on instruction. You don't hear this often, but I think, and a common theme throughout all of this is your principal thought that your kids were playing games. You often walk into classrooms with teachers with tools and students are playing games. And while games have their place, and I'm not saying like um, prodigy where they're like oh, playing yeah. and they're like battling each other, that looks like a game, but actually they're actually, you can attach standards. You can do all these other kinds of things, but like when you use ed tech as a tool to enhance your instruction, that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck from everybody, from your students, from your administrators from your pocketbook. Sometimes we have to like, you know, use our funds to like do any of those types of things. So I think, I think when you think about adopting an ed tech tool, think about what it can do for your instruction and start there. And I would also say one thing that you didn't mention that I think is important part of this is, you know, the ed puzzle, the flip grid, the whatever, but you've mentioned this and peppered this out throughout the whole thing. And that's a learning management system. You said Google classroom, mm -hmm. it could be canvas, it could yes. be clever. I don't know, whatever your district is using, there's hundreds of them. That is the easiest way to get your lessons digitized in a sense and where, and it will make your life easier than grading mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds of paper. It can be the easiest shortcut for you to like, you know, go into just helping you create your content or, you know, your lessons. And then you can go back and reflect on it and be like, Ooh, I want to change this or, Oh, I want to modify this. So I think all of those tools help to enhance instruction. So I definitely like that and keeping it simple, keeping it with, you know, four to five, I even say two to three, um, to kind of get yourself started because what you're saying, the analogy of using the instrument is really good. I think about watching DIYers, you know, I'm a new homeowner and building my home and I think, Oh, it looks so easy, but I tried to paint this room and, you know, I got the stripes and they look really good here. That took me way longer than I thought it would ever take me, you know, to like be able to do something. And so you never realize how much practice it's going to take for something. So just give yourself the grace and the patience yeah. to learn the tool 
And once you do, and you just take the risk, you'll never look back. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. All of that. And I love what you said there. Show yourself some grace. And, and again, that goes back to, it's okay to not know everything, you know, because even with a lot of these apps that I used when I was in, in elementary, these are things that I saw on Twitter or that I learned at TCEA. And I came back with some minimal manageable uh, skill skills to share with my kids. But when I just shared that minimal manageable skill set with them, they just took off with it and I just learned from it. So don't be afraid to learn from your kids. I mean, that's the best way to learn because they're going to take this to that next level where we may not see it um, the way they see it. But then when they show you what they can come up with, you're like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. And you just took that, learned from them in the, maybe that first period. So when second period comes in, they're like, you can be like, hey guys, let me show you uh, what I learned. And here's what you can do. And then I guarantee you, somebody in that class is going to take that to that other level where now you're like, wow, this is great. So sometimes our own students can be our biggest resource. So think about that also. Yeah. Amazing. I loved being able to share your story, you know, and have a passionate talk about my love of ed tech and your love of ed tech. So Fonz, thank you so, so much for joining us today. If somebody wanted to find you, even though this will be in the show notes, what is the best way to add you to their personal learning community? Awesome. Yeah. You can actually find me on all socials. And I mean, all socials at my ed tech life. <laughs> so yeah. just, yeah, type that in at my ed tech life, or you can visit the website at my ed tech dot life, my ed tech dot life where you can go ahead and connect with us as well and then check out all of the amazing episodes and wonderful educators that have that I've been able to interview and learn from and that you yourself also can learn from. So it's it's awesome. So hopefully you guys do connect. I look forward to connecting with as many people as possible. And uh, like Lena and myself, you know, we're always happy to help in any way that we can. And if maybe either of us can't help you, I know that we can connect you with somebody who can. Exactly. That's exactly, that is a great piece of advice. Well, once again, I just want to thank you so, so much for coming on. I really enjoyed being able to share this with our audience and, um, and just being able to share your story. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. And uh, again, just looking forward to future collaborations. Me too. All right, everybody, we will see you guys next time. Bye everybody. Thank you so much. You've made it this far. We are so thankful that you're here. Make sure to hit the subscribe button, thumbs up, comment below, and join us for all of our next videos. Thank you so much for joining us as we disrupt education together. See you guys soon. Bye everybody.